This is the Annex of Sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from the City University of New York. Today, we pay another visit to our friends out in Europe who are struggling with the crisis. Two Bocconi professors, one at the epicenter in Italy, one who had made an escape to Berlin, uh, Alex Kentakalenis. Uh, uh, of Bocconi University, Assistant Professor of Sociology, is in Berlin right now. Hello, and thanks for having me. And Gabor Schering is right in, right in Lombardy, right in the thick of it. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for pulling. Before we get into anything, uh, tell me what has happened in the week since we last talked. Gabor, can you start? Because you're right in Italy, and that's what's making all the news. Yeah. So just the day after we talked, uh, the Italian uh, government decided first to lock down Lombardy and a couple of other uh, neighboring uh, subregions. But then this was uh, extended uh, very briefly to the whole country, the lockdown. And then the lockdown has been further intensified just a year ago, uh, a day ago, sorry. So now um, uh, there's only uh, a few uh, offices uh, left open and uh, grocery stores are still left open. Um, you are, in theory, allowed to walk around in your own neighborhood. But if you want to move around, let's say, to the other part of the town, or if you want to leave your town, you will uh, fill out uh, a self-certification form where you provide a, a reason why you are traveling. And then basically the idea is uh, to make everyone stay at home and not move and reduce the number of social interactions because that's the only proven way of effectively curtailing this, uh, what is a pandemic by now. Let me ask you, between when we spoke last and today, how have your feelings about the pandemic or society's responses evolved? Have you learned anything new or has your mind changed in any way? Well, of course, the whole situation is getting uh, more and more serious day by day, obviously. And, uh, um, well, everyone is, I think... Uh, Right now in Italy, most people are by now aware of the gravity of the situation. Whereas I would say a week ago, you would see many people trying to continue their ways of life, even yeah. even in in in, uh, in Lombardy, which was uh, already in lockdown uh, at that point. Even just a few days ago, you know, when I went to, when we went uh, shopping with my wife, uh, we saw a lot of people on the streets, you know, because kids are at home. So what do you do with your children? It was a nice sunny day. So people were out walking around uh, with strollers, with babies, with children, children playing in the parks. So um, there was this sense of trying to continue uh, sort of this Sunday type of normalcy. But by now I can hear that the, 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 the noises of the town have really, uh, have really gone, uh, gone down. Uh, I haven't been outside today, uh, but I guess uh, there's a very, very significant no, uh, reduction in the traffic, uh, both uh, car traffic and, and just the pedestrian traffic as well. And, you know, uh, 
hospitals around northern Italy, especially Bergamo, are really <coughs> performing at their limits. And we can mm. also hear uh, helicopters flying around. And I assume that those are uh, transporting patients uh, uh, down from northern Italy further uh, to, to the south, where there is more uh, rooms in in hospitals. So I would say the situation is definitely sort of uh, intensified, and this is perceived by, by, by many people. Now, today I heard, is this true, that the Italian authorities are talking about putting age limits on intensive care treatment? Have you heard this or? I, I haven't been following the news uh, no. today, so I, I've been working. I'm, I'm working on my book, which I have to submit by the end of the month. So, <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, so I, I haven't been following the news uh, today. Uh, so I don't know. I've I've read a year a, a day ago. I've read, uh, you know, because there was this controversy about the need to uh, sort of pick which patients would get. Uh, proper treatment in intensive care uh, and then uh, uh, one of the leaders of a hospital in Milan uh, responded to this uh, that although hospitals are performing basically at their limits but there is no such decisions made in fact that's why they are uh, moving patients in intensive care further down so there's a regional re redistribution Alex is in Berlin. Alex, are you happy that you made it out, or what is your feelings? What's what's going on in Berlin now? Just as a way, as background, if you heard us last week, uh, Gabor uh, is riding it out, and Alex made uh, decided that uh, he was uh, going to head off to Berlin uh, to be near family. Was that it, Alex? Or yes, family and friends. Yeah, family and friends. Tell me, tell me what's going on there. Uh, how do you feel about the decision? Just tell me whatever you can. Okay, so first of all, I'm, I'm glad I made it out uh, on time because as Gabor mentions, uh, also what all of my colleagues are saying is that basically they're under, uh, they're in home uh, all day, uh, every day. Uh, I'm happy I made it out. I have to say that being in Germany is quite uh, an interesting uh, comparison because here uh, the scale of uh, the crisis is uh, much less uh, intense. So there have been a lot fewer infections. Of course, it, mm -hmm. it arrived in Germany later. So Germany only has been dealing with this um, for a bit more than a week. Uh, and at the moment, according to the latest data, there are about uh, slightly more than 2,000 confirmed cases, which compares to 15, more than 15,000 in Italy. Uh, however, a key difference in Germany is uh, that there have been very few deaths. So uh, Germany has recorded five deaths from the virus. Uh, so people are uh, not necessarily taking it less seriously, but perhaps panicking a bit less. There is this uh, widespread uh, belief that, um, which is not to say that it's an accurate one, but uh, 
it's the belief that uh, the German health system can handle the crisis. This mm -hmm. is to some degree based in reality. So Germany has more critical care beds than any other European Union country, has about um, uh, 28 beds per 100,000 people, whereas Italy only has 12 beds, per, uh, critical care beds per 100,000 people. Uh, so uh, there is this approach that uh, the German health system is able to handle it. And uh, only yesterday, Angela Merkel, the chancellor um, of uh, Germany, uh, came out and said uh, without any reservation that up to 70% of the population is likely to contract the illness, which um, it's not to say that made people feel at ease, but uh, it uh, somewhat accurately um, provided uh, estimates of the scale of the potential damage. And, um, and people have slowly started to shift their behaviors accordingly, but not in the drastic form that we saw in Italy. So um, public transport operates as normal. Schools in most of the part, most of the country are still open. Universities are open, uh, excluding certain hotspot areas where there have been many infections, especially uh, in Bavarian parts of southern Germany. So, so we see we see a very different approach. Uh, the supermarkets are still open and relatively well stocked, so so we don't really see uh, many cases of hoarding um, uh, goods uh, at home. And walking around Berlin, uh, one sees, let's say, maybe ten to twenty percent less traffic than one would normally see. It sounds like New York, basically. Yes, I, I don't know how long this this will last, uh, but um, and whether whether people will start panicking. But um, Chancellor Merkel's address yesterday that said that up to seventy percent of the population might get ill um, actually, I think, calmed down many people. Um, uh -huh counterintuitively, because uh, the, the main message is that we might, nearly all of us might get it, so um, we'll pull through this together. And at the same time, she announced uh, that um, rules over public spending are being relaxed, so more money is going to be poured into the economy in order to help uh, much affected regions or industries recover, which is, of course, a big issue for Germany, partly because the global supply chains have been um, have been disrupted and demand for German cars, especially in China, has plummeted and so on. So uh, the German government has announced that they will introduce measures to ease the economic pain for certain industries. So we see people, at least for now, remaining relatively calm and no drastic measures like the Italian ones yet. Yeah. I've, I've been, 
Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that I have this, uh, I've been collecting the data and uh, it's really fascinating to see, or not fascinating, but interesting to see how extremely similar uh, the numbers are for basically each European country. Uh, Italy has been hit the first, but basically Germany and France is exactly a week uh, behind. Uh, it's it's uh, exactly where Italy was uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, around a week ago. And then the, 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 the percentages in which it grows is also quite similar. So, for example, in Italy, once uh, it, it, the number of uh, discovered cases, active cases, reach 100, in the first week after the first 100 patients, it grew by 74%. In Germany, it grew by, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 47%. In Germany, it grew by uh, 46%. So it's, 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 they, it's frighteningly similar to the way it unfolds. And I hope that uh, other countries will learn from, from the example of Italy and will be able to slow down the spread. But, to, but, but it appears that, uh, that the, the growth rate is around the daily uh, 30% uh, now in Italy. Uh, it's almost the same in the US. Of course, it's very difficult to say in a case of the US, a country which <clears throat> does way less tests than, for example, Italy. So you, you don't really know how uh, the situation is. But I just wanted to highlight that it's a, you know, it's a, it's an experience that, that looks quite similar across the countries. Uh, if you look at it from the distance, although there's huge differences as Alex pointed out uh, in the timing and intensity of responses uh, and I think this is like there's an interesting broader lesson here if you can talk about lessons already yeah totally you know you know in East Asia I, I have a friend who lives in and works in in, in Hong Kong and I just had a, a chat with him today and, you know they are very different in their approach. Uh, they had experience with similar uh, respiratory illnesses and viruses. And uh, uh, this different approach is, is reflected both in the behavior of people and in the behavior of, of, the, uh, of the authorities as well. And the way Hong Kong has managed to, to tackle the crisis, but also South Korea, uh, is something that I think European countries should learn from, but apparently had not really learned until now. So I think it's, we are now at the moment in Italy where Italians are learning that it's only social distancing that is really, really helpful. And the question is, if other countries in Europe are uh, beyond enough to be able to, 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 to curtail the same exponential growth that has happened in Italy. So I think uh, the comparative perspective will be fascinating as we go forward, uh, and I mean forward in the coming months and years uh, for sociologists in particular, in the sense that yeah. I'm sure there are many comparative projects to be developed around responses to, to outbreaks or to this outbreak <laughs> in particular, um, and what explains the reactions of uh, different countries at different times. So uh, I myself am Greek, so I do follow the Greek situation as well. Uh, Greece only recently reached the 100 patients 
mark and only one person has died. Uh, but already from um, last Tuesday, so three uh, days ago, they closed down all schools and universities uh, much, much earlier, uh, much uh, before um, other countries at similar levels of infections around Europe. So why is it? Is it uh, the trust of people in their own welfare states and health systems? Is it panics uh, that have to do with idiosyncratic cultural factors within within these countries? What is the, the diffusion of uh, knowledge and policies from one country to the next? Uh, this is all stuff that sociologists are, are well equipped to analyze. And I can imagine PhD dissertations down the line exploring <laughs> these types of questions and comparing, <laughs> uh, say, uh, European countries uh, with each other, but also uh, the US experience, I'm sure, is, is quite uh, peculiar. Um, and actually, uh, at, at least from afar, looking at it, um, very different to, to, the European, uh, to the European experience. What, what, like, just when you're, cause that's what uh, half of us are thinking, wow, there's going to be some amazing books <laughs> that are going to be coming out in about four years from now. Never face the opportunity that is presented <laughs> by a good crisis. <laughs> yeah, right. I, l let me ask you this. Uh, has this experience reshaped your views or refined your views in any way of how society works? One thing that I've noticed in my efforts, so I uh, I or contributed my voice uh, to the effort to close CUNY. We have 250,000 students traveling the subway and uh, we had people being quarantined last week and the school wouldn't close. And one thing that really interests me about social change is, you know, the example of Hong Kong, the example of South Korea, they are known to everybody on, a, on a, a rational level. But I have found that when it comes time to act on it concretely, when you see the people in charge, there's paralysis. And I never really appreciated the, the degree to which uh, the people in charge can know what the good solution is, but yet there'd be a systematic paralysis where no one wishes to act for fear of bearing the responsibility of change. And it really it has shifted my understanding of what it takes for social change away from one that people just have to be informed with the right answer to. There is an emotional management and a very heavy political sort of facet to managing crises. The answer could be looking you right in the face with great evidence and everything. And people will just say, you know, I don't care. Or they'll, the defense mechanisms will kick in. Yeah, so I noticed some of that, but I guess the re one related question is how long can this um, approach be sustained uh, until, mm -hmm. um, so how many students can be infected until a university administration reacts? And uh, if, we, if we kind of broaden out to the country level, uh, in the case of Italy that we've been discussing, it took uh, about uh, a week to 10 days or so for the government to 
really come through with uh, more decisive action from initially forming these red zones and then gradually expanding um, the constraints on uh, mobility uh, and so on. And then it took uh, maybe a couple of weeks in total until the total the total shutdown, uh, which the government, I think, after its initial denials that anything is wrong, because uh, mm -hmm. in the first uh, few days of the crisis, you had the foreign minister coming out and say, Italy is totally safe. Um, yeah. You should come and uh, you know, not cancel your holiday plans to Italy, and uh, and there was this uh, these there were these moments of outrage in Italian press uh, every time that um, somebody famous uh, said on Twitter that uh, they're canceling their trip to Italy. To yeah. to going from there to this total shutdown of the country uh, one week to ten days later, and uh, the prime minister having uh, a very kind of sober statement um, that uh, also linked up to uh, to the social uh, to social solidarity. So his his famous his famous phrase from uh, the speech a few days ago was that uh, we must keep our distance today so we can hug tomorrow. Um, so I think even in cases of denialism or refusal to accept uh, the expert opinion and what data say, uh, there is. The, the interesting question of, well, when does uh, do these more reactionary forces come to uh, to bear the cost of their actions and realize that uh, they have potentially contributed uh, to worsening the outbreak a lot more? And uh, you mentioned the case of universities in, well, in Italy or much of Europe, I think this situation is a lot simpler because very often just the government mandates that universities close and and they all do it. In in our in the region that our university is in Lombardy, uh, the rectors of all universities uh, coordinated and immediately shut down most universities within a week of the outbreak. Uh, whereas in the US, there seems to be a much more decentralized way of handling these things, which is why you see uh, cases like the one you're mentioning. Yeah, there is there is one more uh, uh, dimension to this story that uh, we've been discussing with my, with my wife over the past couple of days, is sort of the role of Western uh, you know, I don't know how to call it, maybe this uh, exceptionalism, maybe, yeah. that believe that, you know, this this culturally, you know, this biased view that we are better and viruses, this is this is a thing of those in, in Eastern Asia and it won't hurt yeah. us. And we shouldn't learn from them because we are anyway better, you know. Mm -hmm. This is prevalent in Europe, but obviously it's, it's a thing also in, in the U.S. Oh, this yeah. is clearly this is clearly uh, inhibiting uh you know just decent policy diffusion and, and 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 policy learning and this this is something that was quite uh, striking for me and the other related phenomenon is is particularly european is that you would accept sort of a 
or at least I would accept a sort of European solidarity to emerge. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really see that to the extent no. that I would I would like to see it. Yeah. And it, it, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, uh, of the migration crisis, which 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 really uh, drained European reserves of, of cross national solidarity. Uh, for example, my friends in Hungary are upset about the Germans who stop every exports from their country and Hungarian uh, uh, stores are depending on German export of, of masks, you know, that's mm. just one tiny uh, element. And there's this, you know, these sort of sometimes rude comments, especially by right and radical right wing politicians about, I don't know, it's just the Italians, they are lazy anyway, they fuck it up, we, will going, yeah, yeah. we are going to be better, you know, and these sort of comments, uh, the belief of the Dutch that they will just manage this, survive without changing anything because they are so different. So, uh, so you know, this brings out again, uh, this, this sort of uh, nationalist elitism from all nations in Europe, whereas to me, the lesson again is, you know, that we we are all in this together, and and, and that should be definitely uh, a, a raising, you know, arising in this sense of of uh, uh, community across across the globe, and and and, and not this, you know, uh, uh, increased nationalist competition uh, across the countries, like you know, Trump blaming Europeans for. Uh, mismanaging the situation. Uh, it's, just, it's just nonsense. Well, interestingly, China is now sending technical assistance to European countries and especially to Italy uh, for how to handle uh, the outbreak. So uh, we see, so, so Italy asked uh, for help uh, from its, um, from other European countries. And uh, most of them did not respond. I mean, much is made of this in in media. I think part of it is grounded in reality in the sense that European countries just don't produce masks anymore. It's uh, it's often uh, these are often produced in China. So, so um, say countries that are just a week behind Italy in their uh, outbreak statistics to be sending uh, tens of thousands of masks is, is uh, presumably not uh, necessarily the wisest, uh, the wisest choice. But um, all of this, I think, does raise some uh, interesting questions around which models of governing can help uh, countries better handle uh, better handle these types of outbreaks. And, and in the case of Italy, Italy has a, a somewhat centralized uh, model of administration. In the German case, that is a federal system with, um, uh, with uh, health authorities being decentralized, that makes coordination just so much harder. Uh, and of course, uh, at the extreme of centralization, you have China that uh, could successfully build hospitals within a week uh, yeah. to to cater to those affected. So, um, of course, the more centralized the system, the easier it is to handle those outbreaks. So, so it makes one wonder how the U.S. is going to uh, the U.S. public uh, public and private health system is going to handle uh, these outbreaks, especially in a city like New York, and how 
yeah. life will be affected? Or do you think New York could go on shutdown in the same way that, say, Milan or Rome? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, it has been, to my mind, just pure chaos. Uh, I, I, I think it is conceivable. I think you, you, I mean, anything's possible, you know, um, but I, I just don't know. I, I get this, the, the sense here is that, uh, there are a lot of pleas for us to trust the authorities, you know, stay calm. I'm sure the authorities will do the, make the right decision, but at the same time, there's no tests and no evidentiary basis for any scientific determination of when to shut down. And um, they're not just preemptively shutting down. Uh, you know, it took the CUNY system. Imagine from uh, the first faculty member coming in contact with a, 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 a confirmed case. We had 250,000 students traveling the subway and the CUNY uh, leadership told us we were not allowed to preemptively go on classes. It's not just that they didn't cancel classes. They forbade teachers from moving online in anticipation. Um, and I mean, I just couldn't even make sense of it. Um, and what was the argument for that? That there were disadvantaged students. Oh no, the original argument was that students had purchased in-person classes and that it was not right to change the mode of instruction away from the in-person classes to online student classes. So there was sort of like a uh, commercial transaction logic where we had to provide this service because that's what the customer purchased. And then it transitioned to a social welfare argument where uh, we could not do it because not all students were guaranteed to have the resources that they needed to experience class online and so it would be unfair um and i just these were just not compelling reasons uh to my mind uh but you know it's it, it's odd because the, the 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 discursive environment here the you know the 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 conversation going on here is so twisted in so many ways because politics are so intense and so nonsensical um, you know, I, I was lobbying for CUNY to close because I just felt like it was bad for 250,000 students to be congregating and, and traveling in a city where there were no outbreaks. And, uh, you know, there were people telling me that I was a, a, a liberal who was trying to delegitimize Trump uh, mm -hmm. or I was alarmist or uh, there was all sorts of things like the blowback. It was just... It's insane. So I don't even know how to make sense of the logics. I, I think it's a lot of psychological defense mechanisms where people are just grasping to just give a response so that they can put the thought out of their mind. And to some degree, they resent being told about it or having to think about it or having a decision thrust on them. That's my but impression, at least. It makes you wonder, uh, looking at CUNY um, or universities as organizations rather than anything else, and think of the way they tried to maintain their image. Imagine a, a not far-fetched scenario where a student comes to class, contracts um, the virus because that student uh, rode the public transport to class or from a classmate, and then goes home where the student lives with an elderly relative. And 
that elderly relative uh, gets infected and, and dies. You know, I can imagine headlines of um, CUNY, CUNY um, uh, policies kind of spread uh, the disease across, uh, across the city or linked to X number of deaths and so on which presumably would be devastating for the university. So it makes one wonder, even from that pure uh, kind of self-preservation um, uh, mode or the communications department of the university, uh, wouldn't they want the name of the university not to be associated with any kind of uh, disasters? So there's two things. One is the CUNY itself is a political beast more than sort of a, you know, a traditional, you know, uh, private organization. And my sense was actually that it was coming from the governor's office. The governor was disallowing them to cancel classes. But also, you know, we're four years into sort of the Trump era and it's like i don't think i think people feel like they can gaslight their way out of the consequences of their behavior like it's just become prevalent where they just feel like that could happen and all they have to do is just say no it wasn't and just insist on it you know i mean there's there's something that uh, there, i don't know i don't know if 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 people are as fearful of the political fallout uh, of embarrassing events uh, in this type of polarized environment. They're just they're, People are just yeah. arguing anything. Just been writing a paragraph about how extreme political polarization distorts governance and quality policy making. So the, the US is, it's, it's, is, is, a, is a prime example, you know, but it, it had a huge role in a way, Hungarian, the quality of Hungarian democracy decline, you know, this excessive uh, political competition just distorting the rea reality of the competing uh, political cultures. And then, you know, at the end of the day, they are all concerned with defending their own tribe. And, and this completely distorts the logic of, of uh, rational uh, policy, policy planning. But, you know, the US is only 12 days behind Italy. 12 days yeah. is not much. And just judging by the way you describe the situation, I mean, I don't want to sound too alarmist, but <laughs> I think it could get really, really bad just, you know, in a week time in, in the U.S., given the the inability of, of just the general culture and the huge level of decentralization and, and the political preparedness. Uh, I hope that I'm going to be wrong, but so far... You know, the increase has been pretty much the similar uh, around 30% after you hit uh, 100 number of cases. And it's just, again, just 12 days. So, and Italy has already closed down. Uh, uh, when there were 200 cases, they closed down uh, 50,000 people in, in 15 uh, towns in Italy. This quarantine didn't really help. They closed down uh, universities in Milan and, and Lombardy just when there were a few hundred cases. So there were already things, quite drastic measures being introduced in, in Italy and it, it, it didn't really help to stop, stop the, the exponential, uh, exponential growth. But I guess uh, in the context of the US, it remains to be seen whether and how it will affect, say, the, next, the upcoming election and whether uh, public officials will suffer for their 
management or mismanagement of the situation or not, or whether they will be able to gaslight their way out of um, out of the crisis. I mean, in the case of Donald Trump, he, if I'm not mistaken, he called uh, this a hoax uh, just uh, yeah. a few days ago, and um, and now is announcing all of these measures, including bailouts for uh, several industries that are much affected, but uh, not necessarily measures to help working people uh, who don't have sick leave uh, to to stay at home and self-isolate and not go to work and infect more people. So it remains to be seen how it will play out in political terms. Uh, but it yeah. seems to me that it's much harder to have a gaslighting campaign when you have... Uh, 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 hundreds or thousands of infections uh, rather than around issues that uh, most people don't necessarily see around them. Yeah. What What is the view of what's happening from America, like on the outside? Like, how is it being seen in Europe? What What are the mistakes that we're making or what message, like, would you transmit to the rest of the country if 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 you could? Or to our five listeners, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I think from uh, a German point of view, where I, I I listen to the news here every day, uh, is this generalized disbelief in the way that the government is handling this, um, and uh, this generalized impression that there is something erratic and unscientific about uh, the approach of the US government, which is not to say that there is a consensus that there is one uh, scientific way of handling this crisis, but uh, at least among the news sources I've seen here uh, or across Europe, there is consensus that there is nothing scientific around uh, the way the US is handling this. Um, yeah. So there is this generalized uh, disbelief of how um, the self-proclaimed uh, leader of the free world that has such a high capa state capacity to do things, including uh, you know, wage uh, complicated wars in uh, far-flung places of the world, uh, cannot um, implement uh, rules and regulations in order to, to handle what is likely to be a very serious outbreak of a deadly disease. Yeah. We don't know yet what is to come in the US, but I think there's, we have reason to believe that uh, the situation is going to get, uh, get worse in a, in a week or two. And, uh, we don't know how the health system will react, but Again, I think that it's fair to hypothesize that, you know, the, the U.S. healthcare system is just much less well equipped to handle this situation than the European health systems. And to try to be, you know, more optimistic, uh, I hope that in the long run, this, this will contribute to, to, to the recognition of universal, centralized, state-run health insurance and health service systems, mm -hmm. which I think is just way much better equipped to handle situations like this, you know, 
if you have everyone uh, or almost everyone insured, if you have a centralized system, you can handle situations much better, et cetera, et cetera. So if I can be optimistic, then my my idea would be to, to in the long run, not in the short run, but in the long run, try to use this situation, but maybe in the campaign as well, try to use the situation, you know, to highlight the, uh, and, and make make a case for 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 universalizing health health insurance because we all know that the health system in the u.s is failing in so many ways compared to yeah. european health systems and I, I hope i'm going to be wrong but but as it looks now this is just going to be another failure will add to the to the long list of failures of the u.s health system but maybe the momentum will be there to change this maybe you know one thing about the United States, when I, I immigrated here from Canada, was uh, I noticed that uh, people did not see personal benefit in containing desperation of surrounding communities. You know, they didn't see the personal gain of a social safety net. And there might, like, they were, I remember when I moved here, I was quite troubled by the, the intense levels of poverty that you could see right in front of you. People are like, oh, that's the way it is. And I think there might be some recognition that um, uh, having other people in the community who are desperate is in fact a problem for wealthier Americans. And they probably don't, like it's, it hasn't registered thus far. It's also like the one you know, thing when that's you very- have hundreds of thousands of people uninsured walking around, untreated people, tens of thousands of untreated homeless people walking around the streets of major cities it, 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 it you know it's not that difficult to to realize the benefits of uh, of the better <laughs> system and that's what i hope will uh, yeah you know, uh, you know it's better. a it's a it's uh it's harder to break than you would imagine so i am you know i'm a more privileged american uh, as a professor and i have very good health insurance and I'll tell you, the upper middle class is going to have to give up a lot of privileges if that's to happen. And they're very odd privileges. Like, for example, my, my daughter got a, uh, a wart on her finger and I was able to go to a dermatologist the next day and I spent $10 to have it surgically removed. In Canada, the doctor would say, go to the pharmacy and paint that wart removal stuff on your finger for two weeks. You know, like these are the types of things that maybe the the more privileged Americans are going to have to give up. But one, one thing that I, I am thinking about, and maybe you can explain to me how it's working in Italy, it's an, an immense privilege to be able to continue to earn your living from home and stay inside during uh, this pandemic. And a lot of people will not have that opportunity. What happens to the people who can't go to work and who don't have savings? So I think there's a there's a large degree of confusion about this at the moment, and it's very hard to to see. You know, it's it's different sectors of the economy uh, being hit in different ways, and then there's also the question of health insurance and 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 the ability to use sick pay uh, and the ability to 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 send home send people home to to work uh, from home. And it, it's just impossible to, to figure out how this will impact different segments of society. But it's quite certain that, uh, you know, small enterprises, and Italy has a lot of those, uh, just families running bars and restaurants and, and, and small shops, the country and towns are full of those. 
these people will be hit hard. And these are uh, just small uh, enterprises that, that won't be able to, 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 to recover. So there's currently different uh, plans uh, that the government has already announced. Like, for example, uh, the idea to defer uh, paying certain taxes, uh, social contributions, mm -hmm. the idea uh, to, to defer uh, payment of, uh, of your debt, uh, of uh, basically you can ask for uh, deferred payments of, of, of loans. Um, and there's also uh, uh, talk about uh, different uh, ways of trying to uh, you know extend this uh, idea about uh, to, to to cover uh, rents as well so you know people live in in rented homes uh, right. would be able to use it as well but these are all plans as far as I uh, as far as I understand and I don't think everyone actually knows at the moment how this will uh, uh, impact on different segments of society in the short term in the long term it's I would say it's 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 easier to see that uh, sectors of the economy populated by uh, enterprises uh, dependent on tourism and especially uh, small family-run oh, businesses yeah. will be much 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 worse off and they need some some uh, kind of some kind of help definitely so as Gabor says, there, there are high degrees of uncertainty. The government has announced that they will step up public spending in order to, to handle the crisis. And, uh, and in Italy, like in much of Europe, uh, many employees uh, in the formal sector uh, enjoy high degrees of job stability. So. Uh, and extensive uh, sick leave if necessary and so on. So, so that is very different uh, to the US uh, to the US context. But uh, also many European countries, including Italy, are highly dependent on informal labor, um, often for care work, for cleaning, um, parts of agriculture uh, rely on informal uh, labor. Uh, often of migrants, and uh, and it makes me think of how are these people going to cope with uh, being out of work for a month or two, and then maybe struggling to to return to work, struggling to meet their rent payments, um, and not necessarily having access to uh, these uh, public programs to soften the blow because they're not part of the formal labor force. And that's a big question mark, uh, I think, across Europe that uh, we'll start coming to terms with once, um, once the emergency phase of this outbreak uh, is over, then, then uh, I think more and more evidence will uh, come up uh, uh, over how different um, groups within the population have, uh, have struggled to cope but it's also important to see that you know uh currently uh the government is trying to avoid shutting down the economy as a whole so mm -hmm. production is is going distribution uh, is 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 going and people are allowed to, to, to travel for for work reasons uh, 
So those who cannot stay at home and those who cannot, uh, you know, just go on holiday or anything like that, they are allowed to 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 go to 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 work. So so again, in in the short run, it's very hard to see how this is actually affecting different parts of society. It's a bit fresh. You know, I remember from uh, the work that I did on on my last book. It's I think like a third of U.S. households have like something like a thousand dollars or less in the bank, and like. 15% of them have like cash in their pocket and no account at all. And even though you guys seem to be in the future, this, this pandemic hasn't been going on very long. And I wonder what does a restaurant worker with $300 in the bank and no opportunity to work, how, how is that person going to survive? Um, and it, it, it's, I could imagine ways that we could make it work or ignore the problem for a week or two. But from my, but I'm understanding this is going to be a multi-month problem. Exactly, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Also, that in the in the long term, we can see more severe problems. You know, the economy is definitely going to go in in recession in Italy, but I think in many other parts of the world as well. And we'll see service sectors hit hard. And we know that service sectors, you know, you have a very high degree of precarious labor. And that, mm -hmm. that type of part-time or uninsured labor or informal labor, even that's that's the uh, that's the uh, that's the, the, the real danger. So, all right. Well, coming up in an hour, I I really enjoyed talking to you guys, and thanks for letting us do this update. Um, do you have any sort of words of wisdom that you want to leave us with now, with your your one week older, wiser <laughs> self? Do you have some new pieces of wisdom to pass on to us Americans? Well, don't be afraid of slowing down. You know, slowing down <laughs> is not only good for your uh, for your health, but it's uh, also actually your psychological state of mind. If you, if you just slow down and stay at home, and actually, if you if you don't get sick and your relatives don't get sick, this is a situation that is you know you can you can get through it. You know, stores will remain open, and this is I think a decision that it's better made early than late because the earlier you make this decision, the higher the efficiency of it is. So I think people should not be afraid of, of this lockdown type of situation because they seem to be efficient in, in, in other parts of the world and it's just better to get over with it. Yeah, so I think last time I've, I think I said something like, you know, don't panic and wash your hands. I, I've kind of updated my views on that. And not that <laughs> one should panic, but taking drastic measures uh, early is important. And to, mm. to reflect on our conversation as well and and our role as, as teachers, I, um, I've been in the process of updating the entire syllabus for my for my course right now, and including including a module on on health, so I went back to to uh, rereading Eric Klinenberg's Heat Wave on yeah. um, uh, on deaths in Chicago in '95 and how during uh, the heat wave in the city there, uh, most of the deaths were among people who were living alone and people of lower socioeconomic status. And it makes me wonder when, uh, when we have finally the data of um, who has died and, and data on the deceased around the world, whether we would observe 
similar uh, social gradients in in deaths and if we do what this says about the societies we live in and the type of um, uh, access to healthcare that uh, people in our societies have so so that I would imagine would uh, be something that could figure very prominently in the context of the US elections. And, and of course, uh, there is one remaining uh, candidate in the Democratic primary who, who has uh, public health as, as a key, key concern in the campaign. But uh, regardless of what happens to um, to that candidacy, I think uh, healthcare will be uh, much more prominent in public debate uh, across uh, across the world, and how to to better deal with such outbreaks as they emerge. And uh, I'm I'm curious to see what will uh, will come out of it all. Well, maybe we'll have to talk in a week or two and just <laughs> see what up updates. On that, if I could be so indulgent as to answer my own question, just in case we have colleagues who are like in the heartland or in a place that has not been hit. Um, one thing that I learned in the past week is that um, the, if you feel strongly about your community closing, know that you will be told a lot of things you will you know, you'll be, uh, some will tell you you're panicking. Someone will tell you because you're not the epidemiologist who discovered the curve, you should be shutting up. Uh, you'll have a lot of self-doubt. Um, but ultimately, this is a serious disease. And the only thing that we know how to do to uh, mitigate the amount of uh, cases that the hospital is processing is to shut down early and uh, make it a, a, an aggressive shutdown. So uh, don't be afraid to lobby for that in your community. Uh, it doesn't feel good during, but I'm confident that uh, when, uh, with the passage of time, you'll be happy that you did what you could uh, for your community. Uh, Alex, Gabor, thank you so much. Uh, I hope we can speak again. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you very much. You've been listening to The Annex, a sociology podcast. A special thank you to Alex uh, Kentakalenis and Gabor Shearing from Bocconi University. We're on the web, sociocast.org slash annex, on Facebook, The Annex Sociology Podcast, and on Twitter, at SociAnnex. Our producer is Laseth Moreno. Music by Lena Orsa. I'm Joe Cohen. Thank you for listening.